Welcome to the Contraception Pod. I'm Maya and I'm the Catholic. I'm Cassidy and I'm the Protestant. At a gala at Trump Hotel, never meeting each other prior, Cassidy quietly came up to me in the bathroom and said, What are your thoughts on contraception? This question turned into a never-ending discussion that we decided to take on the podcast. So join us as we discuss contraception and how it affects our world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Contraception Pod. And we are back for episode, I don't know what, but it's just so exciting to be back, be here, just be here with y'all, have a platform to talk about this on. And that's what I just, I love so much about the Contraception Pod is is it's enabled Cassidy and I, me and any other ladies like Morgan, who's here with us again today, to have a conversation about topics that matter, topics that a lot of people really are afraid to jump into. And we want to have those hard conversations. If you ever want to jump on with us like Morgan does, we want to hear what you have to say on these things. Today, we're talking about something that seems a little like a lot of people are like seem to have like not sure what they believe, but we're talking about IVF. Um, and as we get into this conversation, I just felt called, you know, they just like share like, you know, my part in scripture, I don't know where it's at, but like we are begotten by God, you know, and we are loved by him. And, and that's what, you know, this conversation is all about. And so, yeah, if you're listening to this and maybe you are an IVF baby or something like that, this is not a conversation to say, oh, we don't believe that you should have been created or she should live. Um, That's not what this conversation is about, but it's about protecting life and the dignity of life moving forward. Right. And God makes beauty from the ashes. Um, And so, and, and maybe, Maybe, um, and maybe you are a mom who participated in IVF as well in order to conceive the child that you love. This is not a conversation either to to uh, cast like judgment on you or hate on you or in any other way. But to but for us, it's about reinstilling the dignity of life moving forward. Um, you know, the devil has uh, very much deceived our nation and our and the past. You know, and he's continues to try to deceive us. And that's what this podcast is all about. How do we instill dignity back to human person so all of that being said i don't know which one of y'all to ask first but of course we have cassidy and cassidy and morgan on today but like let's just talk about what is ivf we touched on this on the episode prior to this what is ivf what is the process of ivf and how recent and how modern is ivf yeah so IVF, the first successful IVF birth took place um, July 26th, 1978. And so that is seen as World IVF Day, July 26th. Um, or no, I'm sorry, it's it's July 25th. Um, yeah, July 25th, 1978. And that was the birth of Louise Brown. So IVF has now been around for 44 years. So it is a fairly recent invention. And it is where they give the woman medication to stimulate her ovaries. And so she takes these drugs for about like two weeks to really like ripen up her follicles. Cause like generally that's how long the follicular phase is. And so she'll take those drugs for about two weeks and they're called stims. Um, so then she'll do a trigger shot that like really causes the follicles to like pop. And so when they go in to do the egg retrieval, they have this little thin catheter, kind of like a needle. They suction off all these eggs and then they could freeze the eggs and like go back to them later. But a lot of times they just do it fresh. Like they take all these eggs. Generally it's about 15 to 20, could even be 25 or 30, could even be more than that. But generally like 15 to 20 eggs. Um, and they will try to fertilize all of them. So they get a sperm sample generally from her husband, but it could be from a sperm donor. And so 
they will fertilize all of them. And then a lot of them will die off on the Petri dish, just waiting to make it to blastocystate, just trying to grow. Um, and then they go to normally genetically test them. A lot of them will test positive for various genetic abnormalities. They will discard any with genetic abnormalities. And they generally only want to transfer one or two at a time. Certain fertility clinics do it different and they might transfer three or four, but generally it's just one or two. And so they freeze all the healthy ones that they don't want to transfer right now because it would just be too many. Um, and so, yeah, they just try to transfer just one or two healthy embryos at a time. Statistically, neither of them will take. Um, sometimes it's just one, could be both, and then that's how you get twins. Um, but more often than not, neither would take and a whole bunch die just trying to grow to blastocyst stage. Um, they die in the freezer, they die, um, you know, during the transfer. So like, it's just, yeah, there's so many different places in the process where they could die or they just get donated at the end because they're left over or they get donated to medical research. Um, yeah, so, yeah, and those like turnouts, uh, as far as like what can happen to an embryo after they've been conceived and they're not gonna be used for pregnancy. What I think I hear you saying is, you know, talking about how they can be put in the freezer, you know, mm -hmm. and save for future pregnancies, rather, if that means that couple intends to come back to those embryos and give them an opportunity for implantation later, or if they plan to give up those embryos for adoption, there's this thing called embryo adoption. So if anyone is listening in and you actually do have embryos in the biofreezer, there actually are a fair number of couples out there in the world because 1 million embryos are in biofreezers. A lot of couples are responsible for those. If you know you have embryos that are in the biofreezer that you don't intend to attempt implantation with, those can be given to families that want to adopt them because the only two other options are deadly to the embryo. And so those options are to donate the embryos to science, which will kill them. You know, it's like doing experiments on embryos for drug research and other reasons that will kill the embryo ultimately, and they will not get to live. Um, and then the other option is to actually throw them away. Like this is completely legal is to toss them in the garbage. So just like my Morgan was talking about that, when they go through a certain stage of IVF, they're even, you know, looking to grade the embryos and see if, you know, doing a test for genetic problems. So throwing those genetically unique babies in the garbage is 100% legal. It's happening in our country and it's just really heartbreaking and it creates so many ethical problems. And Morgan, what are your thoughts about embryo adoption kind of in the face of all these embryos being in biofreezers and how that can be really a life-saving option for babies that are left in the biofreezer. Yeah. So I think that embryo adoption can be a loving option. So the Vatican has issued encyclicals on this in the past. I know there was one published in 2012 called Dignitas Personae, which is Latin for the dignity of persons that goes through the various um, ethical dilemmas that get brought up with embryo adoption. And so some people have asked me like, what do I think we should do with the embryos who are in the freezer right now? I mean, there's at least 1.5 million, although frankly, I think that's a really conservative estimate because there is no national reporting law about how many embryos are created, how many are destroyed, how many just oh, die wow. in the process, how many are frozen. So yeah, it's kind of like the abortion reporting laws. There's no national requirement. So there are just some clinics that don't really track it that well, or they don't report it. Um, so really the idea of it only being like 1.5, I think is a really, really small estimate. It could easily be millions more. Um, so some people kind of leave them, them like with no accountability as well then like these fertility yeah, exactly. are not accountable. Yeah. Cause like people just don't view them as life on so many fronts. And so 
people have asked me, what do you think we should do one day when IVF is made illegal and there are just millions of embryos sitting in freezers? I think then that is when we should go in and start adopting them out because then we won't be like encouraging the creation of any more because we just start adopting out embryos now. Um, not only are you financially supporting the industry, but you're also kind of like giving them an excuse to just like keep doing it. If you just kind of keep sending this message of like, oh, don't worry that you're creating this excessive amount of embryos. We'll just like take all your leftovers. We will just adopt, you know, the 15 that you don't want. Um, and then you just keep creating as many as you want so that you can get like these genetically perfect embryos or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, I think that like we should wait until like it's made illegal and then we just adopt them out and then, you know, no more embryos are created. Problem solved. Yeah. Yeah. And just to emphasize like a couple things with IVF, like what, what Cassidy and Morgan are, were just saying is, you know, IVF, what IVF has done is it has put millions and yeah, 1.5 million is a conservative estimate. You look it up, it's going to say 1 million. The proper estimate that I've heard is 4 million. If you really do the, the research um, into where, how many human lives there are in freezers. I want to emphasize that when we're talking about embryos, when we're talking, when we say, when we say like, oh, there's these frozen IVF embryos, we're saying that there are frozen human lives and there's like 4 million of them. And that's what mm -hmm. IVF has caused. And so to say, like, I think just to start us, you know, outright, what our stance on this obviously is that IVF is not okay. It never was. And it's just, it's, it's not okay because of because of what it's doing, we are, it's not ethical. Um, it's, and it's, it's not beautiful. Right. And just to, and then just to add to that, you know, there's shut, it is an industry. IVF is an industry as abortion is an industry as contraception is an industry. IVF is an industry as well. So the point that Morgan just made regarding, you know, like why we can't, why it's, why the embryo adoption process is difficult to go through right now is is it is very it's very valid we need to make sure that ivf is made illegal and it is unacceptable and then from there we have to have a and then we need to have a conversation about ivf and embryo adoption um and something i wanted to bring in just to kind of add to the conversation as we go forward you know the church teaches that there's two parts of the sexual act there's unitive and procreative parts of the sexual mm -hmm. act and if the sexual act is missing either parts of that then it is not or if any of that, if the unitive aspect is missing the procreative aspect, then it's not okay. If the procreative aspect is missing the unitive aspect, then it's not okay either, right? So if you go into having sex, the unitive aspect, without accepting that it can also be a procreative aspe aspect, without having that responsibility, without knowing that, and you enter into it with a contraceptive mentality, avoiding sex for, you know, or oh, sorry, you know, avoiding pregnancy, you know, if you go into, then that is considered sinful by the church. Now, if you go into the procreative side, you go have a baby or go make a baby in a lab, basically, without the unitive aspect, without the sexual aspect of it as well, then it is considered a sin as well. Now, here's where in the, in the Vatican's documents that Morgan was bringing up, here's where it can be. Here's where it can be acceptable to adopt IVF embryos. This is, you know, I don't think the church has exactly said this in statement. So you can decide and discern with your spouse as, you know, as you are meant to what is okay. But the discernment behind what the Vatican has put forth on it is that it's the same as adoption. Why is adoption okay? Adoption is okay because you are making with your spouse a unitive decision. You're not making a decision on your own. You're making a unitive decision that cultivates life, which is exactly 
what a couple is meant to do. And so this is something that infertile couples can decide to do themselves is they can adopt. Why Why do they adopt just any any child, right? You adopt a child, you make a unit of decision with your spouse um, that cultivates life, right? Maybe you're not creating the life within you between the sperm and the egg coming together in the sexual act, but you are making that decision and it does procreate. And then the second part of that adding to the IVF discussion and, and this is really sorry, Cassidy, this is really for like Catholics listening. Why why we could say that it is OK is because you are making a unit of decision with your husband to cultivate life because life is already created and you're using your womb as a home, as you would your physical home for that child to develop in. Now, where it gets tricky is you can't from what I've heard is you if it's a tricky aspect for couples who are fertile because you can't also stop the procreation of your own children or something along those lines because of it. Mm -hmm. And that's where the discernment process comes in truly with you and your spouse. And that's a decision you make with your spouse. Um, So I just wanted to emphasize that before we move forward on why we would say that embryo adoption is okay, you know, Um, and it's definitely something that is to be considered and thought of in the adoption process as well. So anyway, just sorry, wanted to add that in. um, And yeah, yeah, that, that's also an important kind of side tangent you mentioned about like, I do think couples do that not only for embryo adoption, but also this is a very common, I think, Protestant thing too, where people will say like, well, we're actually going to have no biological children at all. We're going to contracept and we're going to only adopt. And that's not only embryo adoption. As a matter of fact, it's usually not embryo. It's usually um, adopting children who are already born. Um, but it's true, like you mentioned that you know, if God wants you to have that wonderful gift of a child through adoption, rather that's through embryo adoption or adopting a child that's already born, you know, it, it's not going to be a problem to be open to life because God will make sure to design your family the way it's meant to be designed. If that's with a bunch of kids or one or two or three, whatever that looks like, we don't have to be afraid of our fertility, even when God calls us to adoption. Um, and one little nuance I might want to mention is, you know, thinking about um, embryo adoption from the view of the embryo, you know, unfortunately, embryos who are frozen depend upon the function of the freezer to survive. So there have been times like, I believe there's a a biofreezer in Chicago that had a problem with the temperature and they had to either throw out or something happened to these embryos where they were no longer viable. They weren't able to live because the- Oh yeah, I I know what you're talking about. I don't know if this was a recent event that you're bringing up specifically, but I know back in March 2019, I believe, um, there were actually two very major IVF clinics that had freezer breakdowns, basically like very close together. Like it was like two freak accidents happened back to back. There was one in Cleveland, so it's actually pretty close to my house. Um, there were a lot of lawsuits filed over that, and then one in California. And so both of them had about. They also didn't specify how many eggs and how many embryos. They just said in total about four thousand eggs and embryos at each clinic. So I don't know how many were just eggs or how many were actual, you know, children embryos. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were quite a few lawsuits that were filed, both for loss of frozen eggs and the loss of frozen embryos, because some of these people, you know, were going through chemotherapy and like they froze mm-hmm. their eggs before they started treatment, and, like they don't have any more viable eggs. And so the loss of those frozen eggs was like their one and only last hope to have biological children. And then same with if they had already frozen embryos, like if they, you know, had gone through chemotherapy or maybe they're a lot older now and they're like, you know, I don't have viable eggs left. I'm just too old. That was my one last hope to have biological children. Um, So, yeah, I know many lawsuits were filed over that. I haven't really followed up on that, but I do know that major freezer breakdowns have happened and thousands and thousands of embryos have been lost. 
Wow. That's just heartbreaking. And when you think about like this whole issue from the side of the embryo, you know, that child really depends on someone else to be their advocate, to be willing to be open to, you know, bringing them into their family. So I would definitely say if there are couples that are infertile and that God is calling them to adoption or maybe not infertile and you're able to be careful with your own fertility and not try to, you know, stop the conception of your own child, that makes sense. Um, Being open to embryo adoption is really huge because all of those children are just as worthy of being advocated for as born children who are waiting for adoption, whether if they're in foster care or um, domestic adoption. So anyway, that all being said, you know, embryos and biofreezers are worth advocating for and worth adopting. If anyone listening and is interested in doing that, there yeah. is um, a website you can look at called Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have something called Snowflake Adoption Program. So just something to look into if that's something you think God might be calling you to. Yeah. And then like, let's, I think we should talk about this for a second. What do you say to the lady who wants to, you know, preserve her AIDS for, I, you know, for IVF or something, because she is entering into chemotherapy? What do you say to like, what do you say to lady? How do you have that conversation with her? And then with that, um, and then um, there was one other thing, um, you know, talking about how ethical and how moral is the process of getting the eggs and the sperm, you know, to create mm-hmm. yeah. a, you know, an embryo in a Petri dish, basically, you know, yeah. like how ethical, how moral is that? What is that process? Because I personally like I, I mean, I've, I've I've read about it, but it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. So like I need a refresher on like that yeah. and the ethical, the ethical, I don't know if that's the morality yeah. of it all and all of that. Yeah. And then like, so what do you say to that lady? How do yeah. you have a conversation yeah. with someone that, yeah. that is dealing with infertility and wants and, and sees IVF as their only option? Yeah. So those are both really great questions. So the first one about chemotherapy, there was actually a very recent medical breakthrough in this area. So you do not have to freeze your eggs. You can actually just freeze ovarian tissue um, and then they can graft it back on. So you can get a surgery to remove some of your ovarian tissue before you start chemotherapy. And then when you're finished with chemotherapy, they graft back on that healthy tissue and that allows your ovaries to start ovulating again. So like you didn't destroy your eggs and now you have this healthy tissue that is causing your ovaries to function again. And so then if you can ovulate naturally, then you can conceive naturally. Mm -hmm. And so this was a huge breakthrough that just happened, I think less than a year ago. It had been in clinical trials for years and years and it just got approval for, um, for like actual usage in clinics um, is no longer considered experimental in Europe. So I don't know like what part of Europe that is, but like, I know for sure I got an email from natural womanhood, which is like a very pro NFP pro holistic health uh, company or organization. And so they were talking about how, yeah, it's no longer considered experimental or um, yeah, it's no longer considered experimental in Europe. So it's actually being used clinically now um, the ovarian tissue freezing. And then in terms of the collection of sperm and egg. So let's first talk about the sperm. It is collected through masturbation. And so there are a lot of IVF clinics that will even have porn magazines sitting in their bathrooms um, or like in their collection rooms where like the men go to do the sample. And so like you don't have to accept the magazine, of course, like they're not gonna like make you, um, but they do have porn magazines there if you want to use them. And so, but even if you're not using pornography, like you're still condoning masturbation in, in doing this. And, you know, there are a lot of men who say they don't really like the process. Like there are even like some Christian couples who generally are against masturbation, but they think like, well, this is our only option or we're doing this ultimately to make a baby. So like, isn't it okay how like, yes, we're committing the sin in masturbation, but if we're in turn using that sample to create a child, isn't it justified? 
because of what we plan on doing with it in the future? And the answer is no, like the ends are, sorry, um, the ends don't justify the means. And so if your means are committing sin, regardless of what that sin is, it doesn't matter if it's masturbation or lying or doing, stealing anything, just because you have a good and holy goal in the end does not mean whatever, whatever you do is justified. Right. So like, if your end goal is to have a baby, you are not justified in stealing a baby. I think that this is like a really good example that I've given to some people to help explain this concept. So if a procedure such as IVF results in the destruction of children, then nothing can justify it. Right. Um, regardless of how good and holy your goal is to have a baby. And then, you know, let's say like adoption didn't exist, like IVF didn't exist, like the only way for a couple to get a baby was to steal one. Would you say that stealing a baby is okay because the couple is desperate for a child? Like that is like their good and holy intention to just have a child. No, because stealing is always wrong in the same way killing is always wrong. And so if something has immoral means, like whether that is stealing or killing, lying, cheating, whatever it is, we can never justify that. And so if the means involve masturbation or pornography or killing it it just can't be justified and i just i just to add a little bit about what an industry this is there was a huge case like it was a big thing and it's actually not as uncommon as you would think um but you know when a woman decides to um have a child created from like a man's a different like some random man like you can basically adopt you know men's sperm. Yeah, sperm donor yeah yeah get from a sperm donor it's such an industry that there it's happened multiple times but in this specific instance in arkansas a doctor a doctor um would take the money that women paid and he wouldn't actually go and go for that man that they had looked for and researched because you can research and you know look for all these different men they actually the the doctor would go literally in the bathroom masturbate and then go put his own sperm right and that's what an industry it is and these women are paying thousands upon thousands of dollars like i just i i wanted to tell that story just to emphasize like what an industry it is like is it really about for these people creating human life maybe for some of them it is like helping them but like for a lot of people it's like such an industry and it's disgusting you know but like but like and and that doctor he did it to multiple women like tons of women and so now these like the the women found out because they were trying to find out like cousins that their children were related to because of the sperm donor to find out how many people and they found out that it wasn't the person Person that they they were all related to the doctor and that's just, yeah. just insane uh anyway that's just horrible like anyway it's yeah. just anyway it's not exactly related to IVF but it kind of is but yeah, yeah. like and, and so like um yeah that's important and I because- and I come across a lot of donor conceived children on Instagram um just because like it gets filtered into my feed I'm sure most people don't come across this kind of stuff a lot um, but there are some that will say they did an ancestry DNA kit test, mm-hmm. or they did like a 23andMe test, and they found out that they have all these siblings uh, from their sperm donor, and they're realizing like just how many half siblings they have. It's not just like oh, I have like three half siblings. They find out they have 50 or 100 or multiple hundred. Um, there are some men, and like granted, this is a rare case, who will have 400 or 500 children again that is a very rare scenario and think about um, and then we have to talk about fatherless homes you know mm -hmm. because yeah um like there are certainly single women who do this they want to get inseminated without a husband or there are sometimes lesbian couples who do this and so like they just use sperm donors and so 
when men max out on their sperm donation at a certain clinic, there is no law stopping them. There's no any, there's no regulations at all stopping them from going to a different clinic and just donating again. So when you max out at a clinic that is considered, and maybe it varies slightly by clinic, but the way I've heard it is if you have 50 confirmed pregnancies from your sperm, you're considered maxed out and they won't let you donate anymore. That's only the confirmed pregnancies. The women are in no way required to call the clinic and let them know that they had a live birth from this man who donated sperm to them. So, I mean, probably no, it was a hundred live births. Maybe it was 200. Cause like the women, a lot of times they do not call because you know, why would they, you know, they already have their baby. They're like, cool, we're done. We're good. And so this is only 50 confirmed pregnancies from his sperm. And also he still has like other sperm like sitting in the bank. And so I, I think at that point they just go ahead and throw it away because he, he's already got too many kids, but he could easily bounce around to different clinics within the state. He could even start going out of state. And so if you're talking about 50 pregnancies per clinic and there's like, you know, a couple hundred clinics in your state, who's to say you're not going there every day and, and maxing out. This is mm -hmm. why we have these horror stories of men who have 400, 500 children within just like a decade of donating sperm because they've hit up dozens and dozens of sperm banks yeah wow and, and, and Morgan, yeah sorry go ahead Kevin. oh so sorry Morgan can you explain to our listeners a little bit why would a man be drawn to doing that like you know oh is yeah well, any financial reason or yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah I mean definitely you get a few hundred dollars every time you do it and like for women it's a lot more because uh when you donate eggs it's such an extensive process with all the medication because you got to do like all the folistin or the clomid the trigger shots the you know the pio shots whatever it is you've got to do all the ovarian stimulants and that's a lot of expensive medication. Um, and so women, when they donate eggs, they get probably, well, I, I do know those stats. Um, generally, it's like $15,000. Uh, for men, it is less because like it's just masturbation. So like, I think for them, it's normally just a few hundred um, or it could be a few thousand, depends on where you go. But yeah, so like for women, generally 15,000 for men, a few hundred every time. So they're like, well, I'm just going to do this a whole bunch. You know, it's like donating plasma. And I'm like, no, it's it's not like donating plasma. You You make babies from that. That's a huge deal. Yeah. And, and like something to add to that, like, I know it's not like, oh, the, the, the biggest, the biggest point of all of this, but like, there's also something to be said about the health of having so many people like that are like of one dad, right? Because like, imagine like, and I know, like, you know, like this can get far fetched, but like, you know, like, if they were to marry one with another without really knowing that that is actually less likely to create as healthy kids you know because you're mm -hmm. using the same genes et cetera, et cetera. like that's just yeah a like you can accidentally commit incest very easily i've had quite a few comedians pop up on my feed who are donor conceived children and they're like dating just became russian roulette because i just found out that i have a hundred siblings and i don't know who they are i don't know like how many brothers i don't know how many sisters i don't know how many live in my area how many are in my state how many are in my city what do they look like what are their names i don't know because we're all half siblings and we we're all raised by different people and so i mean for all we know i'm sure this has happened at least a few times where like someone accidentally ends up dating their half sibling who they didn't know was their half sibling. And they end up having a child together through basically unintentional incest. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And like, I, I let, but as we end off this episode a little bit, let's talk about mm -hmm. this spiritually. How does yes. IVF affect the spiritual life of the couple? Um, mm -hmm. Like say like, this is just, you know, you're a Christian couple who just really wants to conceive. And so they're trying IVF. How does that affect them spiritually? How do you know, like, let's talk to that for a second. Yeah. So recently live action posted a video about IVF. The topic of IVF has really blown up like in the last six weeks. Um, so there was a woman who was asking me like, why are Catholics so against IVF, like in all circumstances? And so she tried comparing us to Scientology, which is like this 
kind of cultured because they're against literally every single medication, like the most mild things, like for example, Tylenol. And she even brought that up. Scientology is against Tylenol. And so she thinks that caffeine is being against IVF is kind of in that same realm. And so I explained to her, it's actually not that we're against artificial technology. It is not that we're against medical intervention because we believe in all sorts of artificial technology and medical intervention. The problem is that it violates the principle of what God has joined together, no human shall separate. And so you hear that often said at weddings, uh, because if the husband and wife are now joined together as one flesh, it would be wrong to separate them via divorce. Um, and then also, as I was thinking this through, I realized another reason why murder is wrong. Not that we need like additional reasons, but I just thought this was an interesting correlation. So like at our conception, ensoulment happens. So that is when God puts our soul inside of our body. So the soul and the body are joined in that moment. And when you murder someone, it separates the body from the soul. Cause like the soul can't stay inside the body once they're dead. Like it has to go to one or the other, either heaven or hell. And then the body stays on earth. So when you murder someone, you forcibly separate their body from their soul. And so with either contraception or IVF, you are tearing apart the unit of act and the procreative act. So with contraception, you are allowing for sex without procreation, but with IVF, you're allowing for procreation without sex. And so you are ripping apart the, the bond of the unit of act and the procreative act. And then sometimes people will ask, like, well, how do we know it's important to God that these two things stay together? Like, does it say this in scripture? Yes. In Genesis 38, one of my favorite stories, because I think it says it so clearly. Um, so there's this man, Judah, who has three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And so Ur, we know, was struck down, but it doesn't say why. But then, so Ur's wife is left a widow. And so Judah tells his second born son, Onan, I want you to marry your brother's wife, your brother's now widowed wife. Um, and so it says here, then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death also. So it literally says right here that like Onan spilled a semen on the ground, i.e. pulled out. And what he did was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death. And so these kind of things, um, whatever results in a physical death in the Old Testament, it is said results in a spiritual death in the New Testament. So like in the New Testament, you don't see God like breaking people down left and right. But this happens a lot in the Old Testament. And so like we know that this is still wrong, even if it doesn't result in a physical death. It results in a spiritual death because... Not only are you now preventing the creation of a child, but you're also not even allowing that couple to be unified through the full act of sex. So like the point of having sex as a couple is like for it to be an intimate, unitive bonding experience, like the most intimate experience you could have together. And when you are not finishing the act of sex together because of pulling out, then it's not even unitive. Like not only is it not procreative anymore, um, I mean, like it still could be like the pull-out method fails for sure. But like the point is to be contracepting. Like the point is to not conceive children. That was why he did it. Um, but so going back to like my original point. So this is now not only preventing procreation, but it's also ripping away at this being unitive for the husband and wife. Because now they're not even finishing the act of sex together. They're finishing it apart. That's just my little rant about that. <laughs> yeah, no, so true. And like... You know, I don't think we need to add much to that. And I want, you know, what I would, you know, just say is like, you know, where's your trust in God? You know, like, where is it placed? You know, is it placed in fear? Is it placed 
in God, because that's ultimately what it comes down to is the devil wants you to live in fear, you know, and so many women live in fear of their fertility, um, Mm -hmm. which is a sad reality of where we are today is we live in fear of our bodies as much as people would like to say, oh, well, you know, I'm not living in fear of my body because I'm going to have sex every single day, you know, or something Mm -hmm. like that with some random person from a bar or something like that. You know, that is living in fear of the beauty of who God created you to be. And, um, and that's a journey we see, especially in IVF. IVF seems like it could be, you know, like it, it could be a beautiful thing because you're giving infertile couples possibly an opportunity to, 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 to create a child. Right. But at the end of the day, that's not, that's not what it is. And it's not, it's not moral, you know, and it's not, and it's, it's not what it, you know, like it's not moral and it's created a bad situation. And so we as Christians, as as Catholics, as, you know, as people who believe in the dignity of the body, as Mady Mago Day, we have an opportunity to bring beauty from the ashes um, to be God's hands and feet. And that's definitely like a question we want to leave with you, leave with you at the end of like this episode, you know, is like, it's like, as Morgan said earlier, you know, you know, like, is it okay to do something that can lead to the destruction of so many millions of children? And the answer is no. Um, and it's not okay to encourage it. It's not okay to emphasize it. It's not okay to just make an excuse because you are infertile and that is a really sad reality and our hearts break for you. Yeah. And and what we can just say over and over again is, you know, trust God. I don't know why he's putting you through this season. We don't know why you're in this season of life that you don't want to be in, that you don't want to have. Um, but turn to God, right? And not to the objects and not to the machines of man, right? And just ask God, you know, like, you know, and I I haven't dealt with this, you know, I'm not even married. So I don't, you know, I don't know what my journey is like with that. And I'm sure it's so much horrible that I can even put to words. But you know, just go to God and ask him why, why, you know, like, and discern with your spouse, what, how can we cultivate life in this situation that we're in right now? Because yeah, maybe you can't cultivate life by create creating a child, but you are, we each have, we each have, and whatever vocation, singleness, but especially in marriage, we have to answer that question. Are we going to nourish and cultivate the life that God has given to us? You know, and Paul speaks of this in Ephesians when he talks about the fact that Christ is the head and the body is the church, right? In the same way that he, you know, in that, in that same analogy, he says, you know, women be subject to your, to your husbands and husbands, um, you know, give your lives for your wives in the same way that Christ died on the cross, right? And why, why does this, like, like why did that analogy matter to our discussion today? It matters because we are called as the body, as the church, with Christ as our heads, to submit ourselves to Christ, to submit ourselves to the head of the church who knows, who gave his life completely and utterly for each and every one of us. And he knows the path that we each need. He knows the path that he's drawing each of us on. And he wants to walk with us in that sorrow. And so we have, you know, we have we have to be people of faith, people of joy. Um, as this, you know, as we're recording this in the Advent season, you know so much of the Christmas season and Advent season, we emphasize joy and joy doesn't always come with physical pleasure. Sometimes joy comes with, um, joy is, and what joy is, is it's having faith in the Lord and even the deepest moments of hopelessness. Uh, so many people throughout the Bible did, and that's what we're called to rejoice in the Lord, no matter what. 
And so, you know, as we have this, these discussions about IVF, um, you know, we have to, you know, sometimes we have to just surrender ourselves to God and surrender ourselves to, to his life and that to his, his call for our life. And, and as you know, you know, that's true freedom. And I know, and I know that can be just a harsh reality. And so when we're talking to anyone who's discerning with us, discerning on doing IVF and discerning that, you know, we have to look at them with love and not, you know, look at them with love and, but also, and also communicate to them the truth, the truth that freedom and joys not found in IVF as much as we would like to say it is. And it can be detrimental. Yeah. To and can I mention something about the discernment real quick? Mm-hmm. So um, I was talking with a woman the other day through Instagram about IVF and she'll say, you know, we made the decision to do IVF after a lot of prayer and like a lot of um, what they considered like heavy decision-making. They thought we considered this so diligently. We really talked about it a ton. They're like, no one opts into IVF lightly. And I said, I totally agree with you that no one just like lightheartedly or on a whim decides, hey, we're going to do IVF today. Because like, obviously it's a super emotionally draining process. It is a physically draining process. It's expensive. You know, people struggle with infertility for years before they decide to do it. So I, I in no way think that people decide to do IVF lightly or on a whim. But what I also told her is that our decisions and even our discernment can be wrong. And like what we do have God-given consciences, even when we use our conscience, what we think is diligently and prayerfully isn't always. And so if we can't fully just rely on like what we personally think. And then she said, like, well, you know, I have mentors who are or like, I have a lot of Christian friends and mentors who like guided me into this decision. And I said, I don't think they were intentionally misleading you in any way. I think they genuinely thought that that was moral as well. I don't think that anyone has like any direct evil intent here. Um, but regardless, I do still think that you made the wrong decision just morally, even though you did think about it a lot. So like, even when you think about it a lot, you can still be wrong. I mean, think about how many scientists had theories that they worked on their whole life for like 60 years and they were still wrong. They put so much thought into it, so much effort, so much time. They, they invested their entire life in this one theory and it still turned out to be wrong. So I just wanted to emphasize that point of like, just because you think about it a lot and just because you talk about it a lot with other people doesn't necessarily mean that you're right. So true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just, and that's, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Go. That's a great point, Morgan. Cause also one part of like the discernment of IVF is like, we don't always recognize that the decisions we, this, what I'm saying, the decisions we make have such a big impact on others, you know? So when you choose to pursue IVF, there are all the embryos that may go to the biofreezer, the ones that may die or be thrown away from genetic testing. Um, if you go through and you have a pregnancy with IVF, you know, it does leave other children wondering. So, hey, mom, you know, like once they're getting older and understanding what the process of IVF did to create their siblings, like, well, were there other siblings? Are there siblings still in the biofreezer? Or, you know, like this is the decision to do IVF is something that impacts and changes those around you and not just you. Like, um, you know, we want to express the deepest compassion to those who are struggling with the sorrow and pain of childlessness because it is so heartbreaking, hard, heavy, and difficult. So we're not trying to, you know, cast that under the rug at all, but just pointing out that, you know, um, the decision to use IVF, part of that discernment process should also be considering like, we're talking about how your children are going to feel if they know that you accidentally create 20 children in one cycle of IVF and you're saying, well, we want to try to do pregnancy with two of them. And then you have 18 children left in a biofreezer. That matters. If not to you, it matters to your, your other children who have siblings that they have to now deal with this survivor syndrome. Why do I get to be born and in alive? In and my, my sibling is stuck yeah. in a frozen state, you know? So all yeah. those things are important and go into this issue. We're about to run out of time, but 
Morgan, thank you so much for joining us today and being willing to talk to us about IVF. It was so helpful yeah, and so educational. Yeah. 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 So, so helpful. And I want to add one thing, but like, if we care so much about our children, right, then we should also care about, like Cassidy said, the 18 others that would be in the freezer as well. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and just to end us off with like what the church specifically says on IVF, just want to read this real fast. The Catholic church believes that IVF is never acceptable because it removes conception from the marital act. And because it treats a baby as a product to be manipulated, violating the child's integrity as a human be being within an immortal soul from the moment of conception. And just to end us off with that. And yeah, Cassie, you want to say bye. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us today, guys. Glad you all got to come and join us. And thank you for coming, Morgan. Yeah.